Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, as you may have guessed, I am sort of back and doing a podcast again. And I'm going to continue to do these on a regular basis again. I can't say what regular is going to mean, but I'm going to do them periodically. The caveat is going to be that I'm going to talk about history for the most part. I'm not going to do anything with current events, anything that's happening with park opening, or any speculation about what Disney will do in the future. And I'm going to keep it that way until we've reached a steady state, whether that's a week from now, a month from now, five years from now, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep talking about history until things have sort of reached a state where we have some thing that we can talk about, you know, where it's a little more consistent in what we're doing. Right now, things are changing and evolving, and I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. And to that end, if you sent me an email about anything Disney-related for your Disney planning or anything like that, you may have noticed that my answers have been a little terse, basically saying, sorry, can't help you, don't know, because that's what it comes down to at this point. I just don't know. I don't think anybody knows. So it's sort of a fluid situation, whatever's going on there. So I'm not going to talk about any of it. I'm not going to answer any questions. If you want to ask me questions about Disney history, have at it. I'm happy to get into, get engaged in a discussion with like that. But about anything that's happening current event-wise, can't help you. Sorry. It's just the way it is. And I don't want to speculate about it anymore. I'm kind of done with that. I'm over it. So that's what I'm going to do. And I am going to continue my one little spark segment at the end where I talk about something in the social justice sort of space, something of significance. And uh, we'll talk about that. And that'll be something that I'll leave open and, uh, and talk about. So on today's podcast... What I wanted to talk about was I found something interesting in a box that I had, and I wanted to share that with you. The other day, I was going through some old boxes that I found in the garage, and I was kind of digging around in them a little bit, and I found some interesting items in there, you know, stuff, personal stuff and whatever. But um, one of the things I found in one of the boxes was a few Disney mementos. There were some old park passes, a few little uh, trinkets and tchotchkes from various visits, there was a, an interesting uh, couple of buttons from family days that we had gone to over the years, some from our direct family, some from extended family, and a couple from friends who we had managed to go in with. And that's just kind of the way it worked at that point. You could kind of go with friends and do some different things and get involved. These family days were really about family, and it was really about being at Disney World and kind of enjoying yourself. You know, this is this is kind of that time period in the first 10 years that uh, the Magic Kingdom was open when they were trying to figure out how to lure people in and make you feel like your family and you're part of it. Um, so kind of interesting. And then another thing I found in there was a diary that I had put together. And this is the only diary I ever owned. Uh, so the story goes that we were going down to Venezuela for a vacation um, in 1978. And I would have been about 11 years old. And my mom suggested to me, hey, why don't you get a diary and you can kind of keep track of your thoughts as we're down there. Um, maybe it'll be interesting to read one day. And sure enough, she was right. Uh, and we went over to probably Kmart, I'm guessing, or it might have been the Five and Dime store, and I bought this little diary, just a one-year diary thing. And um, 
I actually took it with me when we went to Venezuela and I wrote down two weeks worth of notes while we were down there. It was kind of neat. It's interesting to go back and read through it and see what 11-year-old me thought of the trip. But the more interesting thing was there was a couple of other things that I put in there over the course of the summer. This was, you know, we went down to Venezuela in like June and early July, a couple of weeks down there. And um, there were some interesting nuggets in there. But over time, over the next couple of months, the rest of the summer, I would write occasional things in here where we were doing something. And there was a lot of interesting things we were doing that summer. So I was just writing about them as, as they came up. And it just so happens that we went to Disney World and uh, I wrote about it in my diary. And I thought I'd share it with you and kind of provide some context and talk about it a little bit because I thought it was kind of neat. It's a little trip down memory lane. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to look at the perspective of 11-year-old me looking at six-year-old Disney World and kind of giving you a perspective on it. I just thought that was kind of kind of neat and I wanted to share it. So we went down there, uh, we went up there to, uh, to Disney World in uh, August of 1978. So my first entry was from thir- Thursday, August 10th, 1978, where I wrote Dear Diary. We didn't do much, but pack for Disney World. I'm so excited. That so excited piece, the fact that I wrote it in the diary here, really says it all. I used to get like ridiculously excited before we'd go to Disney. Uh, we'd pack, you know, we'd be packing, and there was so much emotion going into that because it's like, oh, what am I going to take with me? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do while I'm there? And I'd be packing up stuff, and I would get actually physically sick because I was so excited to go. It would just happen to me that I would actually feel like sick. Um, and I would like have this choking moment, you know, where I was like, you know, just almost ready to throw up. I was so excited. And I remember that distinctly. I remember it going on all the way through high school every time we'd go. And we went a lot. So it happened a lot. And I still think about it sometimes, especially when I'm passing either under the uh, under the Disney World banner as you go from uh, World Drive uh, going through the ticket booth, uh, the um, the toll plaza you know, where, you, where you're paying the, for parking, or when you go under the um, under the uh, uh, the railroad on Main Street. Any one of those three times, it'll just hit me how excited I used to be when I'd go in there. And it's kind of funny to think back on it now and think about how excited I was to go. It's not to say I'm not excited these days when I go, but it's sort of a different feeling. You know, it's a more adult feeling in that sense where I'm excited, but I don't have that. I don't make myself physically sick the same way, um, but I still enjoy it. And maybe that's part of why the magic and wonder of it sticks with me is because it was just so exciting for little me to be able to go there. Then I wrote on Friday, August 11th, uh, Dear Diary, we left for Disney World. It was some 200 miles and three hours. When we arrived, we saw my Uncle Richard and his family And today we went to the Walt Disney World Railroad, Main Street, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Haunted House, It's a Small World, Mr. Toad. Well, that's all we did today. And (laughs) I love the way I wrote it. It's an 11-year-old. And I wrote in cursive, too, so it's kind of hard to read. I have to kind of hesitate a little bit because I can't read my own writing in cursive. I I don't write cursive anymore, so that's kind of funny to me. Um, Anyway, uh, the thing about it was, you know, catching up with my, my uncle. So he was my aunt's husband, and they had three kids. And we would often meet up with other family members at Disney. It was an inexpensive way to go visit, to go and visit the parks um, to spend a little vacation. You had to pay for a hotel, but hotels were not that expensive, especially if you stayed a little bit off the beaten path. Um, you know, like we used to stay at this one hotel that was a little bit further south uh, of World Drive. Um, it was the uh, Knights Inn. There were some other ones we stayed at too, but that was our go-to hotel for a long time. I think in the early days, we used to stay on Disney property. We stayed at the Golf Resort a lot. We even stayed at the Contemporary and the Polynesian a few times. 
um, because they weren't that expensive at the time. So it was a it was an affordable trip and it was a way for family to get together and have fun. So we'd meet up with other family members. My mom comes from a large family and uh, there would be other family members who would go regularly. So sometimes we'd coordinate trips with them and I'd see my cousins that way or I'd see my aunts and uncles that way and we'd go and we'd have some fun. Once in a while, we didn't even know that other aunts and uncles or cousins were going and we'd run into them randomly in the park. So there was always this sort of fun nature of it that uh, that would go along there. Uh, and my grandparents would often go. Obviously, I've talked about my grandparents a lot. My mom's parents, they loved Disney. So they would almost always go with us when we'd go. Not always, but almost always. And they'd go on their own. Uh, it was just an amazing thing. So going with an uncle and an aunt or you know cousins or whatever really was part of the special experience of it all. We'd go off on our own for part of the day, but for some portions of the day, some days, we'd be together as a family. So it was always kind of neat. I also noticed in here that I called it the haunted house. Now, there was this funny thing when it first opened. No one knew what to call it. It was called Disney's Haunted Mansion, but none of us called it the Haunted Mansion. We always called it the Haunted House. It was probably in the 1980s at some point that I picked up on the fact that it was called the Haunted Mansion, and I started calling it by the right name, but we always called it the Haunted, Ma haunted House, and once in a while, we'd, um, we'd refer to it by its correct name, but most of the time, it was Haunted House, and it's just funny how that works um, and how that kind of played out, and I remember my friends and I talking about it as the Haunted House as well. Um, so let's see, we went to the uh, the railroad. It looked pretty much the same as it does today, except for the fact that the uh, the Frontierland station is different, um, but that's pretty much the way it was in 1978. Um, and then Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Well, you know, Mr. Toad was, a, was this great attraction, really cheesy, low-tech, nothing really exciting about it, but it was always fun. It was one of the ones that I remember fondly for some reason. Um, it was just something that was really kind of interesting. It's where the Pooh ride is now uh, in the Magic Kingdom and Fantasyland, but it was really pretty neat and it was always kind of fun to see. Um, and there was that, that scene at the end with the devil where you go, Ooh, yeah, you know, kind of exciting when you think about it. Right. Um, now, as far as the trip itself, 200 miles in three hours, you got to think in 1970s terms, right? The cars weren't as comfortable as they are today. The radios weren't as good to, as they are today. You had no entertainment per se in the car. Uh, you didn't, certainly didn't have cell phones and internet and Wi-Fi and all these things. So you had to find ways to entertain yourself for three hours of boring drive across flat land. And so it was, a, it was a horrible experience. And depending on what car you took, it may have had decent air conditioning, no air conditioning, or air conditioning that functioned at about halfway. So it might be really you know, horrible sitting in the car and being really warm the whole time or you know, having to deal with that. And these vinyl seats that most cars had, not a really comfortable experience going up for a uh, three-hour trip. Now you kind of think about it like, oh, three hours, no big deal. It's comfortable. It's easy. It's, you know, it's convenient. You can listen to your podcasts or whatever, or there's things you could be doing on your phone if you're just sitting there. But sitting there for three hours, just riding, rumbling along in these cars, you know, that were getting, you know, five miles, 10 miles to the gallon because, you know, big metal cars, it was very different. It was just a different experience. And because it was nothing to do, it was it really felt like all of three hours. Um, there was no doubt that it ever felt like that. So it's just funny to look back on it now and think about it and go, wow, that was a very different experience. Plus, of course, being 11, it's kind of like this was just a huge ordeal to go there. So the next day, Saturday, the August 12th, I said, dear diary, yesterday, Richard didn't go to Disney World. Okay. Today, we went, we ate at the uh, top of the world and we went on Pirates of the Caribbean, on the Haunted House, the Hall of Presidents, Small World, 20,000 Leagues, Mr. Toad, Peter Pan, some other people, uh, 
went on Snow White, the Merry-Go-Round, and Space Mountain. I went on Star Jets, the Wedway, the Grand Prix, the Carousel of Progress. If you had wings, America the Beautiful, P.S., we stayed up till one in the morning talking about farts. <laughs> I love that. You know, the 11-year-old in me still comes out when I hear that. Yeah, we were talking about farts. You know, and I have a vague recollection of having this conversation. We were staying at a hotel um, that was, you know, somewhere off of Disney property. And we were sitting there talking about, I don't know, something about farts. It was just about how, you know, people fart or, you know, how they, how they make noise and you know, all these things. And it was just a very silly conversation, but it was all kinds of awesome. And I remember it sort of, um, just that piece of it. And I also remember staying in that hotel um, because we ordered, you know, we ordered from some pizza place that, you know, it was just an awful pizza place. And that became part of the legend and the lore of going up to Disney. And we talked about it for many years. In fact, I think the cousins I stayed with, Richard's kids, they, um, if I talked to them today, they would still talk about that pizza. They may not remember the fart story, but they would remember the pizza that we had that night or one of the nights anyway. It was just one of those things. And staying up, you know, till one o'clock in the morning. Wow. You know, that must've been a banner moment because here it was, you know, we were, we were up at Disney world. Right. And I stayed up till one o'clock in the morning. Now during the summer, Disney would often stay up until midnight anyway. And we probably stayed there till after 11. Um, and, uh, they went back to the uh, hotel and then, um, started having this conversation. It was probably a couple of my uncles and aunts, and we were all probably giggling throughout the night, just having some fun with it. Um, you know, I have one uncle who's only a few years older than me. So just the way the age groupings worked with my mom's large family, it worked out that way. And there was a couple that were a little bit older, but we all had a good time and we, you know, we, we just have some fun with it. Um, so let's see, we ate at the top of the world restaurant. That is where currently the, um, California grill is it used to be, they would have the supper club there during the evenings and they'd have the dance shows and whatever they do during the seventies. That was <laughs> really the experience. And I will talk about that at some point, but, um, the, uh, the top of the world had a breakfast buffet, I think on Saturdays and Sundays. And it was something that was just remarkable. And one of the things they had that I remember distinctly was they had crepes and they did a couple different kinds of it. They had a crepe Suzette and they had a, um, a couple of other kinds of filled crepes and whatever that they do. And they'd make them tableside. And I remember them doing that. And it was the first time I'd ever had crepes, not, maybe not this trip, but when I had them at the top of the world. And it was just an amazing thing. It just left such a lasting impression on me. And I remember being up there and I loved being up at the top of that restaurant. And we would um, often take the stairs up and the stairs down on the outside rather than going on the elevator, just because that's who we were. And that's the things we did. It was just kind of fun. Um, my grandfather didn't like elevators particularly, so we'd, we'd walk with him. And it was always kind of neat to be able to walk up and down. It's only, you know, 14 stories tall, but it was always kind of neat to walk up it and, you know, be in that, uh, be in that outdoor staircase that goes up to the top and then kind of work our way in. Uh, so that was always kind of neat. Um, so the deal was that, uh, let's see, we went on 20,000 leagues. Um, that was the, uh, the, the attraction that's now where the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the seven dwarfs mine train is now. And that used to be the uh, the ride that was the uh, submarine ride where you'd go with Captain Nemo and uh, go 20,000 leagues into the sea. That was always an entertaining time, cheesy as it was. Um, the Hall of Presidents, let's see, that would have been Gerald Ford as the president at that point. So he would have been the uh, the featured president, though he didn't have a speaking part. Um, let's see, that we'll call it the Haunted House again. Um, uh, so Peter Pan, still the same. Um, some other people went on Snow White, which is where... Uh, that's gone now, and that's the uh, the um, princess meet and greet now uh, in that spot. 
over by um, the fairy tale, the fairy tale princess hall, right by Sir Mickey's. Um, so that's there, right across from the carousel. I talk about the carousel and the carousel of progress, both still there. Um, let's see. I talk about Space Mountain now. The thing about Space Mountain was I didn't go on Space Mountain. I've never been a fan of roller coasters. And so I didn't go on it. But what I used to do was I would go with any family members or friends who would go on it. I'd wait in line with them until I got to the point where they'd actually put people in the queue to get on the um, to actually get on the roller coaster. And then I would go through the chicken exit and go to the back. And I would sit there and wait for them. And I loved sitting there waiting for them and watching people get off the attraction. It was just it was like a great time just sitting there watching people. It was its own attraction, really, seeing people's reactions to it. Some loved it. Some hated it. Some would, you know, <laughs> thanks to God for getting off. It was just the way it went. People were funny. And it was kind of awesome to watch people get off and the attraction like that. Um, let's see, the Grand Prix is the same. Uh, if you had wings, that's uh, that was still there at the time. Um, it hadn't changed yet. Uh, so that was that was the one free attraction. Remember, all of these took a, a ticket to get onto. And, you know, tickets weren't that expensive. The admission was couple of bucks under five dollars i think and each one of these rides would be anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar something like maybe a couple of couple of more dollar fifty or so but you know not a very expensive proposition to go on these different attractions and do these things so we we do them multiple times you know you'd go ahead and buy a couple of tickets and you'd ride the haunted mansion two or three times on your trip um so that was kind of neat i still call it the haunted house of course uh, kind of interesting, but a fun, you know, fun trip. And I remember bits and pieces of this. So as I think about it, I'm remembering little bits and pieces of being there on that trip. Funny. Um, then uh, the um, Sunday, August 13th, uh, I started with We Ate Breakfast in the Polynesian. And today we went on the railroad. Um, we also got in for free because we had our hand stamp from the day before yesterday. We went on the Jungle Cruise, the Pirates of the Caribbean, Country Bear Jamboree, the Liberty River Boat, the HM, Haunted Mansion. Interesting. It's a Small World, uh, the Mickey Mouse Review, Mr. Toad. Well, that's about all we did today. Um, boy, was it fun. I should say that like Mickey. Oh, boy, was that fun. Um, it, was a, it was a really good time. You know, so I think about that. I want to start off with Breakfast at the Polynesian. So the Polynesian also had a breakfast buffet they did on Saturdays and Sundays. So I guess we really splurged on weekends that we went up to Disney and we did these. Now, they weren't very expensive. Not like today where the, the buffets are really expensive. These were probably under $10 to eat. You know, even in today's dollars, it wouldn't be that much money. It was probably, you know, probably very inexpensive um, to go there and enjoy yourself. And they always had a, a wide variety of food. And I loved eating the Polynesian. That was like my favorite place to eat for whatever reason. Um, it was, you would be at, up at the second level where they do the, um, they currently do uh, the, uh, the I guess it's Lilo and Stitch um, meet and greet up there. So it's in that same area, but it used to be this buffet and you would go out and you'd get all these different foods. And the food was always great. It was always top notch, freshly made. Everything was good. I loved it. You know, it was just, it was my favorite place to go for, bre for breakfast. Um, went there a bunch of times. Even when I was living up there, I'd just pick a weekend and make a reservation and go just because it was fun and I really liked it. When any, whenever anybody would come into town, I'd say, hey, you want to go to breakfast at the Polynesian? And we'd go there. Um, so it was kind of fun. It was a really, really good time. Now, as far as getting your hand stamped and going back in, remember that I said it was under $5 to get in. And when you'd leave, you could come back in later with a hand stamp. So it was only the Magic Kingdom. If you wanted to leave and go to the hotel pool or something, get your hand stamped, you go out. Um, for whatever reason, we came back in the next day and we still had our hand stamps and so we didn't have to pay. I'm not sure how that worked exactly, 
but that was the rules and we went with it. I, you know, there may have been some other things around it, some reason that we did that. I don't remember, but that's kind of funny to me that we, um, that we did that. And it, you know, just worked out that way for whatever reason. It could be that we had a problem and they said, oh, just come back tomorrow. Could be. I don't really don't know. I don't remember that. But the rules were different. The things were different. The park admission was different. Every, the way it all worked was different. So it was kind of interesting to, to think about it that way. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean at that point was fairly new. It had only been in the park for um, two years of, this, of the six years the park had been there. So that was kind of a neat thing to be able to see. And it was really amazing the way they had, they had themed it up. The Jungle Cruise, pretty much as it is today. Um, I called it the Haunted Mansion. That was interesting. Um, the Liberty Riverboat, pretty much the same. And then uh, it's a small world, pretty much the same as it is today. Um, Country Bear Jamboree, that's funny. That was that was always a good time. Wow, this, this is a fun trip down memory lane for me. Um, then Monday, August 14th, 1978, Dear Diary, we came home from Disney World. We had fun there. It seemed like we were there for two weeks. For the rest of the day, we um, just rested because of the 200-mile or three-hour trip. Well, that's all for today. Adios. And I guess... <laughs> the adios comes because we had been, visited Venezuela. Now I speak a little Spanish, of course, but um, it's one of those things where it just kind of was, was funny um, where I think about it. Uh, so I'm sure I didn't write this here, but I'm fairly certain that we would have gone over to downtown Disney early in the day before we left because that's what our tradition was. We would wake up in the morning, we would have something to eat, and we would head over to downtown Disney and just kind of hang around for a little while, do a little shopping, you know, kind of hanging out. Maybe we'd have a little lunch and then we drive home. That's the way we did things. We always did it that way. So I can't imagine it would have been different for this trip. But for some reason, I didn't write it in here. Um, so I find that kind of interesting. But, you know, it was always kind of neat. You, you, that was the way we ended our trip. We'd always drive up, check into the hotel, and go to the park for part of the day. And then on the last day, we wouldn't go in the park. We'd just go over to downtown Disney, hang out for a while, do some fun things, and then drive home. Uh, and it was it was always kind of neat. Downtown Disney had the, a different feel. It had been open for, what, two years by now? Two and a half years, something like that. So definitely would have been something we would have done in that case to, uh, to kind of ex uh, spend some of our time uh, before we drove home. And again, I pointed out that it was the 200-mile, three-hour trip just because of the nature of driving at that point. And again, that, that sort of experience. And it's the whole experience that catches me here. It's just, it's about everything because the whole experience was so amazing that I wrote about it in my diary. And that's, you know, other than a couple of other things we did that summer, I really didn't write much else in there. Um, it's just kind of neat uh, to, to think about. You know, I talked about a few friends that I saw, some family members that came to town, um, things like that, and a couple of other specific things that we did that summer. But that was it. You know, that was, that was the big, the big highlight for me. You know, there's, there's pages and pages where we did nothing. I didn't write anything. And then suddenly there was this, this little gem of me writing about Disney. And like I said, it's the only time I ever had a diary. So it's the only entries I would have ever written about it. Um, certainly we had very few pictures. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the ability to record a podcast. So these things were all kind of lost to history, but in my mind, I still remember it like it was yesterday. And it's just neat to kind of look back on it, think about what it was like when I was 11 and going to the parks and just really being entertained and enjoying myself. It just, it blows me away to think about it, just how much fun I had and how, how much I looked forward to it. And I'm sure we were planning the next trip. We may have gone, I don't remember for sure, but we may have gone over Christmas that year um, at the end of 78. So that may have been the next trip we took. So we may have been there for 78 to 79 New Year's. 
I think, or we went early in January, perhaps. I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure we went again, like four months later, um, to spend a little time up there in uh, for the new year, or maybe just after Christmas. But it was amazing. You know, it was just, I think about that and I go, wow, these were, these were great trips, fun memories of like going there. And I remember my brother being there, he's about four years younger than I am. So he was about seven at the time or so. So he would have seen it through his eyes and it would have been exciting for, you know, in a different way for him. Um, but it was really amazing, you know, and I remember distinctly, there was one time he got separated from us, um, after a parade and, uh, you know, we found him like, you know, 20 minutes later or something, or felt like four hours later. Um, and you know, he was, he was fine. He was having a good time with the cast member and whatever, or goofy or something. I don't remember exactly, but it was just one of those things where you had that moment of panic, but then it's Disney, right. And everything just kind of works out or seems to anyway. So it was kind of fun. Um, you know, it just, you know, I look back on it and I just have all these fond memories of going up and down and seeing all these different things and being there with family and friends because we go with friends too. Um, sometimes I remember going with a friend one time, uh, they were going out for the weekend and I just went with them. Um, my mom gave me some spending money. My dad gave me some spending money and I just went, you know, bought the ticket and we were in, that was it. And I just stayed in their hotel room with them. Um, you know, just think back on that. It's just being these fond memories and, you know, you have these different ways you'd visit the park, different strategies. When we'd go, we were, we, we would like attack the park. We would be there as early as we could get there. Now we would, uh, we would stop and have breakfast and whatever. So we went like Saturday and Sunday, we went to the Polynesian and the contemporary and whatever, and we had something to eat, but then we'd go in the parks and we'd be there for the marathon day. We'd stay for the pretty much the whole day. We might leave for a little while, but we'd be there for pretty much the whole day until they closed. And we would ride attractions and just go around, see the shows, see the parades, see the firework, whatever was going on and just take it in. And we'd be there for like, you know, a couple of days and we'd be so tired at the end of it because we walked so much, but we were just doing one park for those three days. And it's just amazing to me, the memories I have of it. And I can still go back and see those same attractions, you know, like the pirates, for example. And it still feels more or less the same, even though it's a little tired and I've seen it like 10,000 times, it's still amazing to me. And I still feel that little kid in me calling out every time I, I do those things. So it's just amazing. You know, I think back on it and, uh, you know, just how much my grandfather enjoyed it, how much my father enjoyed it, you know, and yeah, some of these other relatives that I was thinking about that we went with and so forth, they're no longer with us either. And, but I still have fond memories of going there and enjoying it. I remember my grandmother, um, she would, uh, (laughs) she would get lost, like coming out of the bathroom. She'd, she'd go into the bathroom, she'd come out and she couldn't remember where we were to the right, to the left, straight ahead. And she'd like forget and she'd stand there for a minute and have to look for us. That's just her sense of direction was what it was. And we used to play games with her and we'd move and we'd hide and we'd do things just to goof with her. I remember doing that. It seems so ridiculous now, but it was like so much fun at the time. And she'd laugh about it too, because she knew she had no sense of direction. And she was such a sweet lady. It was so much fun, you know, but those are the memories. Those are the bonds that really bind us and the things that, that, why, why I started doing this podcast was because I had this, this fascination, this, this memory of this legacy of this great place that was so much fun, starting with, you know, when I was about five or six years old, when I went for the first time and then going regularly all the way through high school. And then, you know, things were different after high school, but still went regularly, but just amazing. And I just look back on it with such a fondness. And I'm so glad I found this diary. It was so neat to be able to go through it and spend a few minutes kind of reminiscing about this.
one little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new, one little spark lights up for you. And for my one little spark segment today, I wanted to do a two-part segment. And that's because there's a couple of things that I want to talk about that I'm kind of passionate about today that I think are worth bringing up. And uh, they're kind of related in a way. The first is about violence against Asian Americans and specifically some of the killings of Asian Americans uh, that happened a few weeks ago. And here's the thing, you know, Asian Americans in this country have always been sort of one of the minority groups that have been derided and, you know, overlooked for a long time. And they've contributed as much to society as anyone else. And I think we sort of lose sight about what Asian is. You know, you've heard people talking about specifically the Chinese flu and they're going after Asians, but they forget about the fact that Asian is a very wide ranging thing. Asians includes Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Indonesian, it actually includes Indian as well, and Pakistani, um, by definition, that's all part of Asia. So it's an interesting problem that we have here that we forget who people are, and we, we apply a label to them that maybe isn't even right. You kind of you forget who's who in this, in this sense. And these are people who live here just like you and me. They're doing jobs, they're trying to do the best, they're making the best of the American dream and trying to do something. And to call them out specifically because they're Asian is just not right. I have so many issues with that, and um, it's very personal to me. I won't get into the reasons for it, but it, it is personal. And it's an interesting problem we have. And we, the thing we need to do is talk about it openly and honestly and start thinking about what we can do as individuals to be more communicative about this, how we can open up and talk about the history of Asians in this country, specifically the Chinese and the Japanese that were brought here um, to work. And maybe not as quote-unquote slaves, but in places where we, uh, they weren't treated as well. And especially the Japanese internment camps during World War II, where we did actually put people into camps, basically, and told them they had to live that way just because of their ethnic ethnicity. So there's some very odd things about all of that that we should be honest about and we should have a conversation about. And, you know, support your Asian businesses. And, you know, if you have a neighbor who happens to be from Asia, get to know them a little bit. They might be great people. You might have a lot more in common than you think. And so that would be my general advice. You know, take the time to think about what it is and don't just stand on the sidelines. Go in and, and actually talk to people and get to know what some of the issues are at this point and why, you know, maybe even at some of your neighbors that you know are a little bit racist on this topic and racist in terms of um, anti-Asian and understand what their rationale is and maybe have a conversation with them that's a little more honest. So that would be my first thing. My second thing is I think it's long past time that we have an honest conversation about gun control and the gun rights in this country. Look, the Founding Fathers did put in a Second Amendment in the Constitution that allows for the right to keep and bear arms. But never forget, there's another piece to it that says as part of a well-regulated militia. And that's the piece that people seem to lose sight of. So, you know, you hear about all these, all these mass killings that happen. Georgia is an example where the Asian American community was targeted. And then also more recently at uh, supermarkets uh, in uh, Colorado and then an almost attempt in Georgia and other places. And you realize there's a lot more at stake here. And it's time to have the conversation and figure out what we can and should be doing about it. Look, assault rifles have no place in our society. You can disagree with me, whatever. 
I have a very strong opinion about that. If you think about people wanting to have weapons and keep them in their house, I have no objection to that because the Constitution calls for it. But what's the objection to having background checks and having people be regulated and having, you know, understanding who owns the guns? It's not about the government trying to take your guns. This is about trying to make sure that people are responsible gun owners. That's all I think anybody really wants is to have responsible gun ownership. And as far as these assault rifles, why do people need to own them? You know, what's the purpose behind them? Have you ever heard about somebody defending their home legitimately with an assault rifle? I've never heard of that. In fact, it's rare that I ever hear about anybody defending their home with a handgun. We have these stand your ground laws in different states where supposedly if someone, if you think someone's going to assault you, you have the right to shoot to kill or something. And that law, you look at it and you go, what's the purpose of that law? What, what good does it do? And how many times do you hear it being invoked? It's not that often. So it's kind of a weird thing that we have out there where people have a, an opinion about it and it doesn't necessarily uh, match with reality. So, you know, the, the, the honesty of a gun debate is really what we should be having right now. And we should be talking about how could we better regulate things to make them fit the Second Amendment, you know, part of a well-regulated militia, to be able to, to uh, have handguns and people have their, their weapons and whatever if, if they so choose. It's just time to have that conversation. Look, again, a little bit personal to me. I live in South Florida, and I'm, I know some people who went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and were um, killed on that day, uh, murdered, if you will. And we need to actually understand that you know, this, is, this becomes personal. I know people who were killed, and I know people whose grief I can feel. You know, I've, I've met them. And it's, it's hard. You know, you sit there and you look at it and you go, why? Why did this happen? Why would somebody be allowed to have a weapon like that in the first place? And then they use it. And we always give thoughts and prayers and we say it's not time to talk about it. And we, ha- you know, we always have these weird platitudes that we have and things that we say about uh, gun control and gun rights. And it just always feels weird to me because we never really address the underlying problem that th- what do we need some of these weapons for in the first place? If you look back in the history of the Constitution, what was that amendment put in for? I'll let you do the research. I have, I have a pretty strong feeling about what it was used for. And it's, it's a little gray, I'll grant you. But there was, there was a purpose behind that amendment being put in. It wasn't just about people having personal weapons. This was, there was a specific reason for it. And, you know, it, it's fine, but I think that purpose has you know, kind of passed us a little bit. And now it's time to rethink it a little bit. I'm not saying we should change the Constitution. I'm just suggesting that it's time to have an honest debate to start thinking about what that means in today's society with the weapons we have and people's angst and people's anger and people's whatever. What are we doing? You know, and people like to feel big by carrying a weapon. Okay. You know, there are other ways to feel big. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. So it's time to actually have a debate. And that's all I want to say about it. So that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it overall. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning.
Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 